Welcome to Abundant Life with Pastor Joe Ganahl. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? Those are the, the questions that we need to ask if we're going to get an answer. And we, we've been on a tremendous journey this last several weeks. I, I don't know if I've personally ever heard a, a, a better series that's been more informative on the Bible than these last three weeks that we've had. There, it, it was just really outstanding. I encourage you, if you haven't listened to those messages, to go back and listen to that. I can see, I can sense, I can feel that as a body of Christ, we are digging into the Word more. And you just have to. Our, our world's a mess. And I've said it over and over and over again, I, I don't know how people do it without Jesus. I just don't. And so when you look at who Jesus is, you can't separate Him from the Word. And it is amazing when you get into that Word and how astounded you'll be and how you'll see things that you might have read a week ago and you didn't see, and you didn't understand, and yet today you do. So thank you for doing that. Remember, it's the common people that listen to Jesus. It's not just the big shots. It's not just the important pastors and leaders. The Bible was written for all of us, all of us. And so it's important that all of us are in that. Now, again, how you do best, I, I learn visually, um, and so reading directions doesn't always help me a lot. And so I'm a visual learner. There's some people that just don't read very well, and, and they might be able to, you can get the Bible on tape. You can get the uh, tape that kind of dates me a little bit. You can get the Bible on CD or jump drive or whatever the fancy things are today. Uh, you can listen to that in your car. You can listen to it at home. Podcasts, sermons are great. So you don't have to actually sit down and read it. You can use a a leather and paper Bible that's pretty awesome. You can use your phone. I, I actually use my phone when I'm reading personally more than I do anything else. Um, but it's so important for us to get into that word. Faith comes by getting in and by hearing that word. And so I encourage you to do that. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about, so what evidence is there that this Bible is true? Because if I'm pointing you to that, you kind of want to know it's true. And if I'm trying to give you evidence about something, we're trying to look at some facts. We're trying to look at some proof that this word actually does what it says it does. Now, again, I can take you to some scriptures that say that from the Bible, but is that necessarily proving the Bible if the Bible says that the Bible is true? Is there someplace else we can go to get outside evidence that that Bible is true? And that's what we're going to look at over the course of the next couple of weeks. You know, as we look at the Bible and see what the Bible says about itself, 1 Kings 8 is really a neat passage. It says, praise God, not one, not one of his promises has failed to come true. And so when you get to understand that and you dig deep into these words, you see more and more promises come true. Why? Well, if you look at Galatians 3, 5, um, they're asking a question. Do miracles come because you obey the law. And Paul says, of course not. They come because you believe the message you heard about Jesus. And so how do we believe? We believe by hearing, Romans chapter 10. How can they believe without hearing? 
So all of these things work together to help us to believe the Word of God. And it's when you believe the Word of God that you'll begin to start receiving more and more and more from Him. So one of the first things we've got to do is we've got to establish, is there a God? Make sense? I mean, if we're talking about a Bible that was written by a God who loves you and cares for you and has, has done all these amazing things for you, we've got to establish, is there a God? And so that's the evidence that we're going to look at today is, is there a God? Let's pray and we'll find out. Father, thank you so much. It is a joy to be able to come to you today. It is a joy to be able to rest in your presence and know that the work has been done. It hasn't been done by us. We thank you for what your son has done. We thank you for the love that you have for us. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who illuminates and reveals truths to us today. We just praise you for being able to see something new of Jesus in this time. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. So if you go on Google and you type in, is there a God? You'll get 3.5 billion questions about people asking that same thing. 3.5 billion people at some point have asked the question of Google, is there a God? Now, I think there's probably better places to go to get answers than Google, but there's a lot of people asking that question. So I want to point you to two scriptures today that I think are exceedingly important as we move forward in this. The first scripture is not going to be up here. It's in your notes. It's in Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. Day after day, night after night, they make him known without a word, yet their words have gone to all the world. So the heavens are telling everybody in the entire world that there is a God. You don't have to go to Google. You can go out in the morning for the sunrise, you can go out in the evening and see the stars. God is in the snowfall. God is in the rain. God is in the sunshine. God is everywhere in the heavens. And so we see this, that they speak just through what we see and declare the glory of God. Romans chapter 1 says people suppress the truth. People suppress the truth. What is the truth? They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, understood through what was made, so that people are without excuse. So once again, we see from the word that everybody in the entire world knows God. There are people who might tell you, well, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God. They might not believe in God, but they know there is a God. Amen? Now that word suppress is in the present active tense. And it means a continuous habitual action. It is a lifestyle, and the subject is the one who performs the action. So God has come to each and every one of us, and he has shown us, I'm real. And yet there are people who will suppress that truth. And that is a continuous, 
habitual lifestyle action for them. But they are the ones choosing to suppress that truth. They are the ones who know the truth but don't want to address it. Now, if you look at what a Gallup poll said, when asked a simple yes or no question, 87% of Americans say they believe in God. However, when you ask if they believe with absolute certainty, that number drops to 64%. About 8% would identify as atheist or agnostic. Only 64% of people in America would say, I'm absolutely certain that there is a God. Now, there's a scripture that relates to that, John chapter 20. John says, these things are written so that you may be certain, that you may be certain who Jesus Christ is and know you're saved by his name. So the Bible gives us that certainty. And the more you're in the Bible, the more you read your Bible, the more you see what's in there, the more certain you will be of this particular answer. So that's not a lot, in my opinion. But I want you to know and understand that before we go any farther, that you see that God has made himself known to every single person in the world. And it's people who choose to suppress that truth. Now, why would somebody suppress that truth? Why would somebody say there isn't a God? Why would somebody say, I don't want to believe in God? Generally, it's because of some trauma. There's been some trauma in their life. They were abused. They've lost someone close to them. And as a result, because they don't have the correct knowledge of who God is, they blame God. God, why did you do this? I mean, think think for a minute. If, If I was the cause of your abuse, if I was the cause of you losing somebody that you loved, you wouldn't want to have anything to do with me, right? Right? So if we believe erroneously that God is the source and the problems of people that we have lost or abuse in our lives, then we're not going to go to God. So it makes perfect sense that I'm not going to believe in God, I'm not going to have anything to do with God. So generally, when you get down to the root of the issue with people who say they don't believe in God, there has been some kind of a trauma, some kind of a horrific thing, and, and people have pointed them, sometimes unfortunately pastors, have pointed them and say, this was God's fault. God did this. And so that's generally why we want to avoid God. That's generally why we say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. But again, it's usually some sort of trauma that has led them to that place. And someone has told them this was God's fault. They believed it, and so then they don't want to have anything to do with God. Now, I'm probably going to spend a lot of time... at at my papers today because there's some big words here that I barely know how to pronounce and there's some stuff here that if I don't read it it's probably not going to make a lot of sense because I had to read it multiple times to make sense to me it's it's it can be difficult so we're going to class today you good with that (laughs) Colton's up in the front row he's like oh geez I spent all week in school I don't want to go to class again We're going to class today, and we're going to class today to get some evidence and some proof that there is a God. So in order for us to do that, we're going to go outside the Bible, okay? 
because we don't just want to look at the Bible proving itself to be true or the Bible pointing us to God. We want to see if there's any other evidence in our universe that points us to a God. Now, there's still scriptures there because I'm always going to use scriptures, but I'm going to take you to some scientific stuff today in order for us to look at the evidence for God. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at see if there's any cosmological evidence for God. Cosmological evidence. Now, cosmological just means the study of the physical universe. It, it's the basis for all science. So if we're trying to prove God, we're going to look at the study of the physical universe. Now, a cosmological argument is one in which the universe demands the admission of an external cause. You with me? A cosmological argument is one in which the universe demands the, the admission of an external cause. Something outside the universe had to create it. You and I don't create ourselves. If we don't exist, there's no way we can create ourselves. Okay, all right. So there has got to be an evidence here because un the universe, time, space, matter, and energy is not eternal. It had a beginning. And if there is a universe, there had to be a cause outside the universe that started the universe. And the very thing that has the attributes of something that could create a universe, something that is outside of space and time, are the very attributes of God. You see that in Jeremiah 32. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. So there was something outside the universe that had to create the universe. And so we see that we can answer this cosmological argument with the attributes of God the God that you and I believe in. So that's a pretty good thing. We can check one off the box. Now there's also a teleological argument about the evidence of God. Now teleology is the study of design or purpose. The study of design or purpose. Science says that when an object has a goal, a design, or a purpose, it must have a designer. Make sense? If you have an object, if you're wearing a watch today, there had to be a designer of that watch. If you go out to a car and you start the car and you go home, there had to be a designer of that car. It didn't just create itself. And there has to be some kind of design or some type of purpose, in our case, to a universe that points us to a designer. Nothing designs itself. Nothing creates itself. Now when the earth orbits the sun, this was, this was, just blew my mind. When the earth orbits the sun, it departs from a straight line. And I don't even know if I can illustrate it to you. It departs from a straight line by one-ninth of an inch every 18 miles. One-ninth of an inch every 18 miles. So why, what I want you to do for us after church is I want you to walk to Esteline. Esteline is 17.82 miles from here. So that's the best illustration I can give you. And I, I'm going to give you a big piece of chalk. And I want you to walk from here to Esteline, 18 miles, and you can only deviate on that straight line by one-ninth of an inch. 
If you deviate one-eighth of an inch, you're dead. If you deviate one-tenth of an inch, you're dead. If you deviate one-ninth of an inch in the earth orbiting the sun, one-ninth of an inch, you're good. One-eighth of an inch, you're too close and you'd burn. We'd all burn. One-tenth of an inch and we'd all freeze. Now tell me that that doesn't have a designer. Tell me that that happened by accident. It did not. When you look at a single cell, a single cell is comprised of millions of protein molecules. Millions of protein molecules. The odds of a protein molecule, now remember the single cell is comprised of millions of them, but the odds of one protein molecule forming by chance is 10 to the 243rd power. In other words, there is no chance. There is no chance. Folks, it takes more faith to believe that our universe was created by accident than it takes to believe that there was a God and a designer who created it. So when we look at the cosmological argument, we see that the very attributes of something that had to happen outside of the universe, creating the universe, point to God. When we look at the teleological argument, the study of design and purpose, we see design and purpose in our universe. Look at Job chapter 12. Ask the animals, ask the birds, ask the earth, ask the fish. Which of these does not know the hand of the Lord has done this? Which of these does not know the hand of the Lord has done this? The life of every living thing is in his hands. So when we look at this teleological argument, it points to a God. Now look at John 19.30. It's, it's in your notes. This is really interesting that I saw this week. John 19.30, Jesus says it is finished. Finished is the word teleo in Greek. Teleo, teleological argument. It is finished, teleo, means the last act to complete a purpose. God had a great purpose for us in this universe in Jesus Christ. And the death of Jesus Christ on the cross completed this process or purpose to draw us into a relationship with him that wasn't based on what we did, but was based entirely on what he did. I thought that was just so beautiful this week. So we've got now two boxes checked. Now this third box, I'm going to really have to read this close because <laughs> this third block, box is a little bit tough for me to understand. The ontological argument that gives us evidence that a God exists. You ready? You got enough caffeine in you to get, be awake to hear this? Okay. Whew. The argument for the existence of God is that the existence of the concept of God is proof of the existence of God. So the argument for the existence of a God is that the evidence of the concept, even us having the, a thought of a God, is the evidence for the proof of the existence of God. If there wasn't a God, we wouldn't even have a thought of the existence of a God. But because we have a thought of the existence of God, 
It is proof of the evidence of the existence of God. That is the ontological argument. You know when that started? St. Anselm, who lived from 1033 to 1109. He came up with this ontological argument. Look at what else he says. No greater being than God can be conceived. To exist is greater than to not exist. Therefore, the greatest conceivable being must exist. If God did not exist, then he would not be the greatest conceivable being, which would contradict the very nature of God. Does your head hurt as much as mine? I'll read it again. No greater being than God can be conceived. To exist is greater than to not exist. Therefore, the greatest conceivable being must exist. If God did not exist, then he would not be the greatest conceivable being, which would contradict the very nature of God. They must have had more time to sit around and think in 1033 than we do today. Look at some scriptures. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. God has made everything, but we cannot see the whole scope of his work. God made everything, we just can't conceive and see the whole scope of it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. There is one God who created everything, but not all believers know this. One God created everything, but not everybody knows that. So I'm thinking we're doing pretty good, right? That's our third box. That's our third box that exists outside of the Bible that points us to evidence that there is a God. So let me give you one more box today. Let me give you the moral evidence that there is a God. The definition of this is the judgment of right and wrong human action conforming to standards of what is right arising from the conscience. Folks, every culture has some sense of right and wrong. Every culture has some rules and regulations and laws about things that are good and things that are bad. And virtually every culture that you'll see, virtually every culture on earth will tell you that murder and stealing and lying and immorality are wrong, as well as a variety of other things. Virtually every culture on earth will tell you that. Where did that come from? <laughs> where did those thoughts come from? How did we get to a place where we can look and say, this, 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 this thing is wrong? There had to be some kind of outside influence on that that pointed us to the fact that these certain things are not good. Look at what, and this is interesting, this is from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. This was written in 2018. Look at what Stanford University says. There are objective moral obligations. If there are objective moral obligations, there is a God who explains them. Therefore, there is a God. Do we check off box number four? Pretty well. Now look at some scriptures here. Look at Romans 1 again. Wicked people suppress the truth. They know the truth. Now, wicked, we got a weird, sometimes really, really, really negative view of wickedness. 
Wicked comes from the word wicker. Wicker furniture, it's twisted. The wood is twisted. And so when you talk about somebody who's wicked, it's not necessarily the depth of their behavior. It just means they've twisted the truth. They've twisted the truth. So when we talk about somebody being wicked, we see it here. They've suppressed the truth. They've twisted the truth. Look at Romans chapter 2. The law is written on their hearts, and our conscience and thoughts either accuse us or excuse us. So we have a law, and I don't get into that. I'm not talking about Ten Commandments law. I'm not talking about all that. We have a sense, a moral sense of right and wrong. That came from somewhere. It's written on our hearts. You don't need anybody to tell you when you don't do the right thing. Don't need anybody to tell you that. And so we have a conscience that when we do things will either accuse us or excuse us. Where'd that come from? It came from God. So we have checked off the boxes of a cosmological argument, a teleological argument, an ontological argument, and a moral argument that there is evidence that there is a God. Now, don't get ahead of me. I'm not necessarily, yet, I'm going to do this next week, I'm not necessarily saying it's the God of the Bible. Okay? We've got, we're going to prove that and give you evidence of that next week. Right now, all we're looking at is, is there a God? And these four things give us a reason to believe in the evidence from outside the Bible, from outside any other religious book, that there is a God. Look at, <laughs> I, I love this, look at what Isaac Newton said. Absence of any other proof, the thumb alone would convince me that God exists. If you want to try that this afternoon, try to do the things around your house without your thumbs. See how well that goes. Darwin, Charles Darwin, if you read some of his later writings, it's almost like the book of Job. Job had a view of God that was wrong at the beginning, but when you get to the end of Job, Job says, I'm going to take everything back because I had no idea who you were. I didn't know what I was saying. If you look at Darwin, Darwin, number one, didn't have a lot of the same scientific advances that we have today, but Darwin said, I can't explain the eye. He said, I, it doesn't make any sense. There's no evolutionary cycle at all that would explain the eye. The eye is something outside of evolution. Darwin also said the fossil record would prove or disprove his theories. Well, so far it's completely disproved those theories. So when you dig in a little bit deeper than what you might get in school and what you might get in the first couple of articles that will come up when you Google things like Charles Darwin, you'll see that these people, these scientists, who initially might have thought there wasn't a God, came to the conclusion that there was. And Darwin was one of them. So we have all kinds of evidence here that God exists. Have you ever sat down and had an, a discussion with somebody that God doesn't exist? And, and you wonder, why are you so passionate about something that doesn't exist? Have you ever sat down and had an argument with somebody about unicorns? 
Why? Why would you waste your time talking about something and fighting so hard for something that doesn't even exist? It, it doesn't make any sense, which tells you the issue isn't the issue. That there's something buried there, there's some hurt there that they can't come to the, the realization that there is a God. And again, the reason for that is typically a trauma, and the reason for that is they have not had the correct information on who God is. And they have blamed God for that trauma. Absolutely, if I thought that same thing, I would absolutely not want to believe in God. And that's why it's so important that you and I take people to the correct information about who our God is. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Not God. Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. And so we've got to know who this God is and how good this God is. But generally, it just astounds me that people will fight so hard against something that doesn't even exist. So let's finish this out with Romans 1 again, because I want to show you what happens when we get in this place. They knew God. <laughs> you see that? They, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God. They wouldn't give thanks. So these people knew God. I'm not going to worship you, God. Look what you've done to me in my life. Look what you've done to my family. Look at what happened because you were God. So they wouldn't worship him. And it says they wouldn't give him thanks. Regardless of the situation that you're going through, it is absolutely crucial you continue in thanksgiving. Not all things are good, but God can work all things for good. And faith does what? It abounds and it overflows in thanksgiving. I'm not trying to tell you that everything that happens to us in life is good. But I am trying to tell you that God can work all those things for good. And so we want to be thankful, not necessarily for the situation, but I'm thankful in the situation. And I'm thankful that I know what God's going to do in this situation because he's already promised me he's going to work this out for my good. Amen? So they knew God. <laughs> they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him, and they wouldn't give him thanks. As a result, as a result of what? As a result of knowing God and not worshiping him. As a result of knowing God and not giving him thanks. As a result of suppressing the truth. That was a choice that they made. God is so gracious and so good that he shows everybody in the entire world who he is. Shows everybody his glory and shows everybody his goodness. But people, you and I, make a choice to do what? Suppress the truth and as a result, their minds became dark and confused and they became utter fools. It is absolutely foolish to deny that a God exists. It is absolutely foolish to deny that God is not good. And when that happens, and when you and I do that, they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and they serve what is created instead of the creator, and it led to every kind of sin and wickedness. If 
you're looking at our world today and you're thinking, why is it so screwed up? Why is there so much sin? Why is there so much wickedness? This passage gives you the answer. Because people knew God, but they refused to worship Him. They refused to give Him thanks. And they started worshiping the created things in our world. Remember the American Idol series? They started worshiping the created things in the world, and as a result, it led to every single kind of sin and wickedness. Folks, there's a lot of social issues in our world today, and they're important social issues. But as the church, our focus is on Christ, and our focus is on worshiping God and giving Him thanks. And anything apart from that leads to every kind of sin and wickedness. And that's the reason why our world is in such a mess. Because we have put things on the throne of our lives instead of the person who should be on the throne of our lives, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, science, science is an absolute friend of Christianity. Because science is never going to disprove anything that God has already said. In fact, most of your good early scientists were Christians who went to the Word to find out more about this science that they discovered and they studied. Look at what Pasteur says. The more I study nature, the more I am amazed. Science brings men nearer to God. You never ever have to be afraid about science because it will always point to the one who created everything. Amen? So I hope I've given you some evidence today that points to the fact outside the Bible that there is a God. So what we're going to do next week is we're going to look at evidence to see, okay, there is a God. He has given us his word. Is that word true? Can we count on that word to fulfill all the promises that he, that he said? What we'll also do is we're also going to narrow this down from just being a God, some kind of God out there, to the God of the Bible. Amen? And we'll do that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You are so good. Thank you for opportunities to simplify the beauty of who you are. And that simplicity comes to us in Christ. Thank you for that today. Thank you that we can see Jesus in everything. Thank you that we can worship you, Father. That we can worship you and give you thanks. And as we do, our faith just abounds and overflows that we might receive this inheritance that your Son paid the ultimate price to give us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a great Sunday. See you later. You've been listening to a sermon by Pastor Joe Ganahl. For more information on resources and how you can partner and support this ministry, log on to our website at albrookings.org.